do, 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 do. Here we go. My name is Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome. Zen Parenting, episode number 298. Two uh, from 300, sweetie. You know what's special about the number 300? What? Uh, there's actually a movie called 300. That, like, gladiator movie? Yeah. And um, it's have, also... Have you seen that? No. Oh. And it's also the number that, uh, you know, the batting average in baseball. Yeah. Um, Roberto Clemente. Oh, no. He died... I think he died after hitting his, he did something cool. <laughs> okay. First of all, both of your examples, <laughs> what does the movie have to do with anything? No, Roberto, Roberto Clemente died with, <laughs> there's Skype. I kept trying to close Skype. Skype is just relentless today. It wants to be open. <laughs> <laughs> We're not changing it. I know. Uh, baseball fans, Roberto Clemente died by taking uh, an airplane crash when he was taking food to his home country of Puerto Rico. Okay. And he died after hitting his like 500th home run. There's something special. I thought it was that he bat 300, but no. Oh, his 3,000th hit. Okay. He had 3,000 hits on the day he died. Wow. So that has so, nothing to do with 300. <laughs> Just add on a zero. And what does the movie have to do with it? There's a movie called 300. Okay. And we're getting close to our 300 podcast. Right. But the movie, we don't know if it's good. Never seen it. Okay. No Just, idea. All right. You know what else is special about the number 300? What? Uh, that's a perfect game in bowling. Yes. yes. Is there anything else special about 300? Another thing is if you hit over 300, you're, you have a pretty good shot, lifetime batting average of getting in the Hall of Fame. That's good. Any other 300 things? Because I'm coming up with all these and you got nothing. Well, I'm unprepared. Nobody lives to 300, so that doesn't work. Well, if you if you read the Bible, there's people that live to like when they're 800 years old. Really? Yes. You know what? I think turtles live a really Turts long McGirts. time. Turts McGirts. Uh, yeah, like tortoises live like 200 years old, but I don't think they get up to 300. No. Trees probably live to when they're 300. Correct. So for the people who have never listened to this podcast, they're like, why is this a really <laughs> important podcast? Because we'll help you feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember, sweetheart, that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Correct. I have my sound effects back, and Ooh. I'm very excited. Some pe- On today's show. Can I say something? Yeah, go ahead. Some people will be excited. Some people won't because some people don't like your sound effects. Some people have not, didn't even make it this far. They've already tuned out of the podcast. Do you think? Yeah, we are. Uh, well, they're, they're going to miss out because we're going to talk about kindness. Two minutes and 50 seconds in and we may have lost some people. That's all right. I don't You know what? So. We still love the people that we lost. Of course we do. Actually, I don't. Th- yes, you do. I don't love them. I, I wish them the best. No, you love I, them. I don't throw love around to everybody. I do. Do you? You want to know why? Why? Because we we make love like this romantic whoa, thing. Whoa, whoa. Is this an X-rated podcast? <laughs> I'm not oh. No, no. I'm not talking about making love. I'm saying- You said make love. I, I know. But you can just hold on. And we make it this thing where it has to be about romantic love or I only love you if I know you this amount of time. And that is a certain kind of love. That's like a family love or whatever. But the truth is we're all in this together, Todd. We Every are. Every human being on this planet. And Every so one of us. Why not throw love at everybody? I don't see why we have to hold love unless it, people shouldn't have to like always earn it. Sometimes you just give it. Yeah. I, in a general uh, standpoint, I do love everybody. There you go. But not in the specific standpoint. Okay. I accept that. So the people who have tuned out, you do still love them. Just not the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Glad we got that taken care of. All right. 
Um, so we're going to talk about kindness. Correct. You want to hear something about kindness, sweetie? I do. Natalie. Natalie. I don't know. Have we ever brought up the Natalie Merchant discussion? I don't think so. All right. It's too long. No, no. Quick segue. We'll put her in the background. Okay. There was a big argument between you and somebody you love. His yes. name is Chris. Yes. My friend Manisha's husband. Chris is my friend. And it had to do with uh, having drinks one night. And I said that I heard a story about a person who went to a Natalie Merchant concert. Yes. And was thoroughly disappointed. And the reason that those people were disappointed is because... She did not play a single song from anything close to her Greatest Hits album or 10,000 Maniacs Time. She played all brand new stuff. So the question at the table was, is it okay for an artist to play only new stuff at the expense of the reason most people show up to watch that venue or to watch her and listen to her is to listen to at least some of her old tracks. Correct. So there's a big debate between you and Chris. And what side did you fall upon? Oh, I definitely fell on the side that when people see a poster that Natalie Merchant is going to be at whatever location, that they are going to go see her so they can hear the songs that are meaningful to them. I also said she has every right to play new music because you have to continue to grow and you want to share what you have. That's the only way that you can continue to evolve. But that, of course, the expectation is that you're going to hear something familiar. And Chris, who happens to be a musician, who has his own band. A little hoity-toity, if you ask me. Well, he has his own band and they they play fun covers and they do all that kind of stuff. But he, from a musician standpoint, said she can play whatever, whatever she wants to. And you were saying, of course she can, but that's not a good idea. I mean, she could play whatever she wants to. Right, she has the right to, of but course. I think I think the thing that we ended up getting to is I think she'll lose fans. fans. People will be less likely to go see her the Again. next time. And he and the thing is is we were arguing something that really didn't need to resolve because he was saying, "Well, then she'll deal with that." Yeah, well, his point was economic supply and demand Correct. will teach her to not do that again. You're right. Now it's all coming back. Yeah, and you guys fought for that for an hour and me and Manisha uh, his wife and you are my wife were totally out of it bored <laughs> because you guys would not stop fighting about this. There are three people in my life that I can argue with really effectively where I feel very empowered and safe and safe. Not one, being judged. One of them is you. Yeah. One One of them is Chris Lozier yeah. and one of them is Brian Capel. That's right. I can argue with all three of you in this way that I feel like I can say exactly what I mean and that I will be accepted at the end. And again, I have girlfriends that I can have arguments with too, but it's you guys I can really like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you can let your inner lion out. Yes. I am woman, hear me roar. All three of you guys just kind of get in. And I, and I love you for that, all three of you, because that's a gift. Is it because we're kind and generous? You all are very kind and generous. So where do you sit, listeners, on whether or not Natalie is okay. And I love that this is always the Natalie Merchant argument. Like I'm sure this has happened to a lot of artists, but it has evolved into the Natalie Merchant argument. Correct. So we had no in, we had no intention of sharing that on today's show, but you're welcome, I guess, everybody. Well, and I think sometimes it's just fun. Like if you if anyone's been in debate club or you know you give speeches or things that we used to have to do in high school and college, it's really fun to debate your point. But a lot of times in real life. Debating our point can often 
uh, harm a relationship unintentionally. Like I don't want to say that if you debate, then it will – that equals harming a relationship. But sometimes people, depending on who they are, can't tolerate – Especially it depends on what the content of the argument Correct. is. This if it's about <laughs> If it's about religion or politics or right. how to parent your kids, right. that's something different. But this is something – something kind of silly. Well, it's something that we both had a viewpoint on and and it totally makes sense that the way I view it as someone who being the right person on on the right side of the argument. Well, no, it's that I look at it as the fan and he looks at it as the artist. Right. Yet I What lens are you viewing the topic on? Exactly. And even though I do understand the artist, you and I have talks about this show and Mm -hmm. the work we do because similarly there are people who would like us to do certain things certain ways. Yeah. And there are people who would like us to talk more about this or you need to offer this or this is how you need to write or whatever it is. And Todd and I both agree that while it's not we listen to people and we always appreciate feedback, if you do things for other people, then you lose your own internal compass well, we'll, on how things should go. We'll listen to the ideas and if we don't like them, we'll say thank you. And if we do like them, we'll say thank you. But if we like them and say thank you, that means we're probably going to use the idea. If we say thank you, but we don't like the idea, then you'll never hear from it again. Well, and the truth is it's got nothing to do with the idea because the idea may be very valuable for somebody else. It's that if we do things based on what other people need instead of what makes us feel good about our work, then we start to lose that internal drive. But there is something to be said for the balance between the two, recognizing what your audience appreciates. One more quick example, musically. Correct. Yes. So the reason I'm playing Billy Joel is because we went to see him last summer. Correct. How many songs did we not recognize? Zero. We knew every freaking song. Yes. And it was the best concert effort. Yes. And guess where we're going back to this summer? Billy Joel. Yeah. Wrigley Field. Why did I choose this song out of the many? Why is this a funny song? <laughs> because this is from Trainwreck. And when we went to see Billy Joel at Wrigley Field, Amy Schumer and Jennifer Lawrence were there and they got up on the piano and danced. So if you read about that in People Magazine, Todd and I were there. Um, and uh, as Amy Schumer says in Trainwreck, why are you listening to Uptown Girl? Even Billy Joel doesn't like that song. I want to play that part, but I don't know if I can. No. Can't play it. You can't find it. It's like three minutes and forty-five seconds, and it's the it shows her when she dances at the end. It's kind of funny, you know. I do remember that part. Can we go into our topic now? I kind of want to just stay on the transitions. <laughs> it's just a big thing of transitions. Okay, so because so- I'm out of because um, I've kind of taken the show off the rails. Correct. I will surrender my half, and if we get to it, we get to it. Do you want to know how many times I've said correct so far today? Well, sweetie, think about it. The reason you're saying correct is because you're talking to me. I'm starting to realize the words I say over and over and over again, and I very often say correct. I think it's kind of like doesn't carry a lot of energy. Like it's not like it's just a really – it's like a flat word. I, um, JC has a friend. Yes. And I ask her how she's doing, and she says decent. Yes. That's a pretty good word. It's an interesting word, but it's kind of flat. Like, it's flat. It's like correct. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't like it's not super up and it's not super down. You know what's not a flat word what? is Dr. Kelly from the Tree of Life Chiropractic no, here, sweetie. It's not. Uh Tree of Life or I'm sorry, Chirotree.com. Uh Dr. Kelly Justice all on a weekly basis. So if you live in the Chicagoland area, check her out at Chirotree.com. Okay. So 
We're going to talk about kindness today because this month of April, which I know we're not there yet because you guys are going to be listening to this on the 30th. Is that right? Uh, 29th. On the 29th. um, Of March. Of March. So we're not quite there, but we're going to jump in because April is kindness month. So we need, uh, we don't need anything. I guess it'd be nice to have a song or something. Should it be kind and generous? Yeah, kind and generous. Okay. So Natalie Merchant will, will sing our song. So kindness month. The reason that we want to focus on kindness for the month of April is because I feel like the political climate right now is a little heavy. A little unkind. And I feel like we've had to, unfortunately, deal with a lot of negativity on the news and there's been a lot of pain and then there's been concern about terrorists and then there's just a lot of things out there that can weigh us down and make us think that kindness is not valuable. Right. It, it leads us to believe that we need to always be on the defensive and that um, kindness is somehow weak or not helpful. And Todd and I both believe that's not the truth at all, that kindness um, and generosity and love are the things that make the change. And I know many of you listening believe that too, but sometimes when you're being bombarded with negativity, it's hard to believe. You know, it's like, you know, Star Wars. It's like the, you know, light and dark. If I can snap my fingers and think of a word that I want my children to grow up to be, Uh it's not smart, it's not successful, it's not financially safe, it's kind. Right. That's like one of my favorite words. Well, and what's interesting, Todd, is we now know from research, actually, like jumping right in the middle here, um, I saw a really great interview with Daniel Goleman, who wrote um, Emotional Intelligence. He wrote that book, I don't know, like 20, 25 years ago. It's been around forever, but it was a really um, amazing switch in the way we viewed intelligence. Mm -hmm. I think it really led to a lot of the dialogue we now have about multiple intelligence and about how everybody has different intelligence. And it really opened up the door to that IQ is one thing. One very narrow thing. One very narrow thing. It's one path that not everybody can follow the same way. You know, not everybody is going to have the same grades. Not everyone can be the best. Not everyone can excel in that way. But emotional intelligence is having the capability. Or, you know, what I liked uh, that they said, it's like having a cognitive competence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's having the capability to um, understand people, to have empathy toward people, to have compassion, to be able to walk in other people's shoes, to be able to see through other people's eyes. And when you do that, that's when kindness can come. Mm-hmm. So when you're saying that you want your kids to be kind, really that in, that word inhabits a lot of different things. Yeah. Because, oh, yeah. you know. Kind to yourself, kind to the earth, kind to your partner, kind to your coworkers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Exactly. Kindness as being the solution Mm -hmm. to issues, you know, instead of being, um, I think many of us grew up in homes or we get information from the media or from culture that somehow being kind is the weak Mm -hmm. point. You know, it's like if you're kind, then that's not that shows a lack of strength. And actually, it's absolutely the other way. And this is just a, a huge paradigm shift that we have to have because we still look at somebody like a bully and we think, oh my gosh, they're so strong, they're so powerful. And actually anybody who is that overtly unkind or who is constantly criticizing or putting people down or needing to make other people feel bad so they feel good, that in definition means that they are in pain mm-hmm. or have a sense of, of low self-worth. But for some reason, we've got that twisted because the people who can be the kindest, especially in the face of adversity, that's strength. Yeah, That's some serious strength. Yeah. And so one thing I wanted to make sure I said, so I don't forget, is next Tuesday, April 5th, at Fitz's Spare Keys here in Elmhurst, Todd and I are doing a talk about teaching kindness to your kids. Um, And I can't think of a time 
that, well, I'm sure there's been plenty of times, but I'll say it this way. This is a really important time to focus on kindness with your children because they are getting inundated with things that are unkind. And if in your home and within the discussions you have with them, you make sure they understand the importance of kindness, then that is more powerful than what they're going to see on the news. Well, and I will jump in and say, um, challenge myself and our fellow listeners. It is so easy to fall in the trap of unkindness. And some people might be saying, oh, no, no, I'm always kind. If you align yourself with one side or the other of the political system, say somebody loves Trump and can't stand Hillary or Bernie, or somebody loves Hillary and Bernie and can't stand Trump, it's very easy to say he or she is crazy, nuts, you know, all these bad things. As adults, I've said it. Mm -hmm. I have said it. Mm -hmm. So then we say to our children, oh, but be kind and be respectful of people who have differing opinions of you. Right, right. I will say it out loud and hopefully I don't ostracize too many listeners, but I think Donald Trump is not the best fit for our country. That's the nicest way I can say it. And I have said it in not such a nice way to my kids. Mm -hmm. I have described him as a nutbag and crazy and divisive and everything else. And I say that story to help our listeners realize how quickly we can walk down that path Mm -hmm. of unkindness, Mm -hmm. all right? And how we can, uh, it's that thing about we believe one thing, but we're practicing another thing. Yes. And I think that's why Todd and I wanted to have a discussion about it, like a live discussion, is because it helps us kind of process through what we're doing on a daily basis. And um, sometimes live discussions are tend to be the most impactful, which is why we did the conference and we'll continue to do things like that. So again, next Tuesday, April 5th, um, teaching your kids to be kind and uh, please go to our event page and register. How it, much does it cost? It's $20. 20 smackers. Yeah. And we're doing it in a bar setting so you can have a drink or a glass of wine or a non-alcoholic beverage because yeah. um, we do a lot of stuff out of our living room and it's a little bit harder to do something like that. So this is social. Let's make it fun. Let's have a good, healthy discussion. Yeah. So we'll see you there. So that talk is kicking off this kindness month. And, you know, to Todd's point, this is kindness is not just something you are where someone is born kind and someone is unkind. Kind kindness is just like mindfulness and that it has to be a practice. And so you may be kind one day mm. and not very kind the next. And the willingness or uh, ability to pay attention and to notice when your behavior is not in alignment with your values is probably um, the most important thing when it comes to kindness. I think a lot of us point at certain people and say, oh, I can't believe they're so unkind. But even like that kind of gossiping is not very kind. So we're like feeding into the same kind of situation. Yeah. So um, do you mind if I, I just don't know, are you okay with me just jumping in? Jump in. Okay. So Daniel. Cannonball. Cannonball. Okay. Big splash. So again, Todd and I uh, both, you didn't watch it, did you? The I Daniel listened Goldman. to it. I was in the office listening to okay, it. Okay. Because the girls ended up watching it um, kind of, they were kind of in and out of the room, but Daniel Goldman. You almost pulled an Al Adams. But I said they didn't have to stay. Right. You started as an Al Adams. And Al Adams, that's my dad. He'd say, kids, come come downstairs. We're going to watch a 2020 on underage drinking. And it would be like the worst thing ever. Well, and it was interesting that talk. <laughs> That the Daniel Goleman interview ended up being different than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. He ended up really going in the the direction of mindfulness and uh, brains when they're mindful and paying attention. I really thought it'd be more specific to his first book, but yeah. it's really more about his second book or his – not his second. He's got many. His most recent book – 
But one of my daughters, who tends to be a little more sensitive to language, words, society, just a little more sensitive, I said to her, you may appreciate this because there are parts of stuff he's going to talk about that I think you'll really relate to. Yeah, it's more in her area of, I don't know, not expertise, but it's it's her world. There's a little native genius going on with it. Like she was kind of – it comes to her – What do you mean native genius? Well, native genius is when there's something that you're just born with that you didn't really necessarily try very hard at. You know, you just kind of were born with it. And to her credit and to her detriment, she tends to be a little more sensitive to things. This is the kid that I understand the least. Right. And And is the most like you, by the way, which I think is funny. Yes, she is. (laughs) (laughs) Don't understand this kid. She's just like her mama. And so I said to her, you'll appreciate this. And she said, so if I watch for five minutes, I can have a popsicle? And I said, no, I didn't say that at all. I said, actually, if you don't want to watch, you can just go. Like, yeah. I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire. But but basically, I just thought she would appreciate the, you know, the language that he used. And so there'd be a normalcy of the things she feels. But really, what he talked about is, first of all, how when children are born – into a home where there's a sense of, you know, a secure love base. You know, we all know what that is. You know, it's just where the children, we can go into attachment theory and everything, but it's that the children feel connected in their home and they feel secure in that they belong there. Discussing how that can happen is like 50 other shows. Like go back in our archives because, you know, this is really everything we try and talk about on Zen Parenting Radio. How do you build that secure base? And what he explains is that if children have that secure base, they have a better emotional intelligence and then can go out into the world and be more kind. They can spread the word of what they feel. So a lot of times, again, this twisted uh, perception is that if we are kind to our children, if we are respectful to them, if we are thoughtful with them, that we somehow teach them to be uh, weak or that we're somehow not being strong enough or authoritarian enough. And actually, it goes the other way. If you teach children Um, through fear and shame and guilt, as we've talked about so often on this show, then that's how they learn to be in the world. They learn to use shame, guilt, and fear. So he talks about this, you know, this secure base. And he also talks about how parents, we really are their first EQ teachers. And EQ is emotional intelligence. And that we have to take that role very seriously. That we cannot convince our children and talk them into being kind people. We have to demonstrate what being kind means, not just in their presence in a really artificial way, like, oh, look at me giving this bag of clothing to the Salvation Army. I'm not saying that's artificial. That's actually lovely. But what I'm saying is that's that is a piece of it. But really, it's about in the most difficult situations, can you still practice kindness with somebody? Even if the kindness is I don't know how to handle this right now, but instead of saying something I'm going to regret, I'm going to pull myself out of this situation and calm down. Mm-hmm. That in itself, that's not weak. That's actually saying I'm so I'm so cognitively clear about what could happen right now. I'm so paying attention to my feelings mm-hmm. that I know right now is not a good time to discuss it. That's a tool in itself. As opposed to um, being a victim right. of your feelings where you, there's no separation between your cognition and how you're feeling. And where most of us human beings get into trouble is when we react out of our emotions without being able to take that small, quick, m- microsecond step back 
Correct. So I think that's kind of where you're going. With well, that. and again, it's that it's that language that I really like of cognitive control. The thing that's interesting is all of these things like resilience and grit, they all happen in the same place that this emotional awareness happens. And so a lot of these things that we want educationally for our kids, brain development wise, those things happen in the same places in our brain as our ability to have cognitive control happen. Yeah. So the more that we can teach our children and demonstrate- So what are you going to fill up that place in your brain with? Exactly. Are you going to fill it up with grit and resilience and you got to persevere through all obstacles or are you going to give as much attention to some of the things that you're referring to? Well, and Todd, I'm actually saying it even more. They're the same thing. If you have cognitive control, you have more grit. Mm. If you so, so then what we're talking about are two different different definitions of grit. Wouldn't you agree with that? Well, let's say it this way. They're all different things. We can talk about resilience and what it means, and it means something different than necessarily, you know, grit is similar to resilience, but but different. And then we can talk about emotional control mm. or the word control I know is harsh, but we're just talking about, I'm using research language. So cognitive control is about being aware and paying attention to your inner, you know, your emotional experience and how you handle it. That's the exact same thing as resilience and grit. Resilience means you are having a hard time and you are dealing with a failure and your ability to be cognizant of what you're feeling and experiencing allows you to then get up and do it again another way. So let's do it this way because I think I'm with you, but I think there's a lot of people that might also be confused. Okay. Let's go with the word grit because you and I have this kind of negative connotation of grit. And what I would like you to do is describe what that negative connotation of grit is. Well, let me do this instead. Uh, okay. Okay. Do you, you know about uh, Paul Tuff's book about uh, how children succeed? We no. have it upstairs. And basically about two years ago, it came out and it it, it talks a lot about grit and it became really okay. popular. So I'm going to read something uh, something directly just because it'll help with you know the definition. So in Paul Tuff's book, How Children Succeed, he explains the value of grit. A child with grit can I- identify a goal and strive toward it. Even when he or she is faced with setbacks and difficulty. And grit is actually one of many abilities based on cognitive control or the capacity for keeping your attention where you want it to be. Got it. Because the brain uses the same circuitry to both focus on a goal and manage destructive emotions. So it's crucial that we help children strengthen their cognitive control because if they can help, if they can deal with destructive emotions, if they can deal with overwhelming feelings, if they can practice kindness instead of acting out with negativity, they are strengthening the same places in their brain that then lead to them being more gritty Mm -hmm. or being more resilient. The the negative connotation of grit that you and I that got taken down a crazy path was when you basically teach kids to get up and keep going no matter what, even if it maybe that is not the path they should be going down. Right. That's what we end up doing educationally, Todd, is I think that sometimes we take a concept and we forget to apply common sense to it. Right. We bring grit into our you know, vernacular, our vocabulary. We put it in schools and then we place it on inauthentic things. We say to teach you grit, you have to figure out this problem and you need to you know, keep going with it no matter how you feel about it. Toughen up. Toughen up. And it's not something they care about. So- the, the natural impulses, intuition for grit don't show up because they don't care. When somebody cares about something, like they want to fulfill their dream or they want to you know, do something that's incredibly meaningful to them, if they can deal with the cognitive issues, if they can deal with the failure and the up and the down or whatever, they're going to have an innate 
desire to fulfill that dream. Well, what's interesting about this is, you know, half the time when we're talking on the podcast, I think like, what are we going to title the podcast? Because, and my initial thing is the positives of grit. Like, I don't know if that's what we're going to end up calling this episode or not. But whenever I hear that word grit, it makes me cringe. Right. Because I've been brainwashed or whatever, listening to too many parents or books where it says, you know, you need to persevere at all costs and not trust your intuition and all these other things. So it's kind of like, so I think what you're describing, and we didn't plan to talk about grit. We Mm -mm. plan to talk about kindness, but here we are talking about it. Grit is a good thing. It's just how are you going to get there? Exactly. Grit is a good thing when it's authentically occurring. When we are teaching grit in an inauthentic environment where kids don't have this innate, this intuitive, intrinsic, intrinsic desire to follow through, then we're just placing it on false. We're grading them or deciding whether or not they're gritty on some like false, inauthentic creation. Mm-hmm. And that's where... It, The thing that I can think of that um, will maybe help understand this when it comes to research. So Paul Bronson came out with a book a long time ago called Nurture Shock. He talked about how the sometimes when we give kids um, too much positive praise, it hurts them. So all of a sudden, everybody started saying, stop praising children. It hurts them. And what he meant, if you were to understand his research, was when we inauthentically praise our children like they just completely screwed up and then they come to you and say i completely screwed up and we say no you did it perfectly no those things are not true you don't need to say to them yes you screwed up you're awful but you can say yeah that must be tough you can identify with their experience and so he's saying don't inauthentically praise your children for example you're the most beautiful girl in the classroom you're the most beautiful girl in the world you're the most athletic boy in the in this whole school those things may not be true right And so that kind of praise is harmful to our kids because then that gets them into, again, Carol Dweck's work about um, uh, mind – what is it called? Mindset? You know, like where you either have the fixed or – you know, and then they start to think that they are this thing. And then if they demonstrate anything, any kind of weakness or failure, then they they can't tolerate it. And so my point is – I'm getting off track here – is that when we take grit and we understand its value – on that really basic level that grit is helpful in helping people be resilient and overcome obstacles, I'm totally on board. But when we start to try and teach it in schools in like a chemically created way, do you know what I mean? Where it's no longer, it's no longer the truth in the moment. Yeah. It becomes part of the curriculum. Well, what I keep thinking of is extrinsic versus intrinsic. Yes. Motivation. Yes. And what we're talking about is to get our kids to intrinsically be motivated. And how we started this conversation is... As parents, we always want to say the right thing or put them in the right class and do all these things to make sure our kids are kind or whatever, when in fact it really goes back to the person in the mirror is how are you role modeling that behavior? I mean, that's really what it is. And I think most of the people that listen to the show have gotten that over 298 episodes. Like this is not about what we're saying to our kids. This is about how are we demonstrating what we want to cultivate in our children. And we can be talking about any of the million different uh, subject matters that we've talked about, but really it's about living that life, being authentic yourself so that you can demonstrate to them what a quote unquote successful life looks like. And a successful life is not always the end result. It's the ability to keep going in in the when confronted with challenge, challenges. And that is what resilience is. So these things that we're, we're trying to teach our kids in a school setting, they will get it a lot easier 
and more from that internal place if they're seeing it demonstrated at home or with people they love. Like, do we, when we're confronted with a challenge, you know, it could be a pretty significant challenge. How do we relate to that challenge? Well, what I was going to say, tell them stories about how you failed as little kids. We were at uh, your sister's house yesterday and someone just started talking about bringing girls to dances and how I had a an occasion in college where I literally asked seven different girls to a dance. Correct, yes. The first six yes. said no and lucky number seven. Good I'm, thing. I'm not going to say who was one of the no's because I don't want to point anybody out specifically, sweetie. I said no. Sweetie, sweetie. I was number four or five, I think. I think you were closer to number one or two. One or two? I, so who was before me? You may have been the first one. I truly do not know. Really? I'd have to sit there and meditate and hope to go back 20 years of my memory. My reason for bringing that up is I love sharing stories of when I have failed to my kids. Mm-hmm. One, it's safe because you know it happened years it's ago, over. so I've recovered yeah. it. If you really want to have guts, tell them about something that happened at work today. Yeah. Well, well, now Todd, this is where you, this is where you and I disagree cuz right. you call that guts and I say if you haven't fully processed that in your own skin, then there's no reason that you have to share that with anybody. To you. To me, but I think this thing that we think that if we have a, a problem that we going out and sharing it with the world somehow makes us brave. I think when we have a problem, sometimes you need to, what's it called, like circle the wagons and figure out in yourself, or I go to you because I trust you, you know, the Brene Brown thing, go to the person who, or people who have earned the right to hear it, Mm -hmm. process through it, and then share the story. What do you mean, earn the right to hear it? Help me understand that. Um, What happens if you say it to anybody? If you just, because you don't know what the response is going to be. They may end up triggering you and you go down even a more negative spiral. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have such a a day that feels so destructive and so harmful. And if you go to the wrong people, they make you feel even worse about it. You have to be very thoughtful. And here's the thing, I mean, that's lovely about kids. Kids uh, are very honest and they are very, um, their filter is not, real huge yet. And so you may go to your children and say, I had a really tough day. Um, You know, you're thinking you're being brave by sharing all these deep things that you haven't resolved. And they say something that triggers you Mm. and they hurt you. Mm. And you opened up that door for them to hurt you because once I tell a story on this show or in my writing, I'm not saying that it's completely gone and I have no feelings about it, but I have resolved it within myself. So whatever feedback I get about it, I'm not going to be angry that I shared it. Right. So I'm just questioning not not what you said sharing it is brave, but sometimes it's the same day. Well, it depends on what your intention is. If your intention yeah. is to have your kids fix your problem, bad idea. Correct, yes. If your intention is to show that daddy screws up too, and that will give them the confidence to try out for something that they otherwise may not try out for or whatever, you know. You know, I could get, one thing I can relate to with what you say is sometimes because we live with our children so they see us in all these different, uh, you know, uh, moods, is sometimes I do say, I had a tough day, something happened today, and I don't know what to do about it yet. Yeah. Yeah, how you say it is as important as what you're saying to them. Because basically, I'm letting them know that the mood they're reading off of me is correct. It's true. You know, when they're like, you seem grumpy. Yes, I am. Because, you know, the worst is when you say to someone, you seem really grumpy. And that person's like, I'm not grumpy. That's what so, I would do. Are you so, in a bad mood? I would I would used to say that to annoy people. Really? Are you in a bad mood? Oh, that's And awful. then you'd say it to them to the point to where they would actually become, be in, in a, a bad, bad mood. mood. It's really one of my not so proud traits I used to do all the time. And it's usually 
upon drinking with friends, then you just try to mess with people. Right. Because you don't want them to be in a bad mood because you want them to be. trying to get a rise out of them. You're trying to get a rise out of them. And it's kind of like poking someone on the shoulder over and over again. And And I think it's different for you because you show your vulnerabilities as a mom a lot more often than I do. So maybe I am, you know, saying a story on this podcast like, oh, tell them when you're struggling. They see when you cry, when you're sad. They see that. Yes. And they don't see that for me nearly as often. So maybe that's why I'm so much more open to, you know. Well, and it's something that, you know, again, it's one thing to admit to feeling a certain way and saying, yes, you're right, I am sad. But it's a, it's another thing to be like, okay, let me tell you about how I failed right. today. That's like a totally different thing because I – the reason stories are called stories is because you've framed it and you have kind of resolved a lot of the emotional volatility of it. And I'm not saying it's completely gone, but you can share it without having – you know, yeah. a complete meltdown while you're sharing it. And so I think those can be really valuable to children. And then how they see us, uh, you know, carry on. Like when I am in a bad mood or when I am sad, how do I continue to treat them? Do I make that then um, my excuse for being unkind to them? And I say, sorry, I'm in a bad mood. You should have known as if it's their fault. Or do I demonstrate that when I'm not feeling good, here's the things I do to take care of myself so that I don't end up taking it out on you? Yeah. Or I actually, I have a good one Sure. that just happened. Um, this just happened three days ago. I was getting in the car and uh, the, you know all the girls were getting in the car and I, they were, they had all been upstairs and I said to JC, will you let them know, um, you know, that they all need to get in. So JC got in, Cameron got in, wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and little miss wasn't in the car yet. Skylar wasn't in. So I said, where, where's your sister? Waiting for Skylar. Waiting for, oh, I thought you were like lay on the plane. Like no. my story's too long. No. Um, so, <laughs> so finally I said, can you guys go find out where she is? And right when I said that, I checked my phone and my mom had said my dad had to go to the hospital. Hmm. So I was like, Whoo, you know, I went from being very mellow yeah. to being like, oh no. Yeah. So then when Skyler finally came down, she got in the car and I said, JC, I told you hmm. to tell her when to get in the car because she had her earphones on and that's yeah. why she couldn't hear. And JC looked at me like, how did this become yeah, my what fault? what happened? Yeah. So... They all sat down and I kind of did a, Skylar, your earphones are too loud, you know, just blaming them for everything. And then I pulled away and we had driven like two blocks and then I grabbed JC's arm, she was in the front seat and I said, by the way, it totally wasn't your fault that Skylar didn't come down. I said, I could have gone up there and told her, so I'm sorry. It was because, and I showed her the text I'd gotten. I said, I got upset. And she, it was interesting because she at first didn't say anything. Like she couldn't, she was annoyed at me for being, so. It's like asking her to completely resolve it the minute that you come clean. Right. And that story is the essence of why we do what we do. Because what you just said, you told a story about how you reacted in not such a kind way to our kids. And the thing is, I think many parents would be too proud or think that for some reason, because they're the parent that they should not fess up and say, listen, I just reacted this way in a negative manner because I think most parents would just like get mad and never even apologize for something like that. 
And what you did was you reconnected right. with our children. And God, I love my mom, rest in peace, but she rarely ever said she was sorry for doing it. And she pl- did plenty of things wrong. You want right. to know why? She was a human freaking being. Right. And human beings make a lot of mistakes. Our kids need to hear that we screw up. Exactly. And that we are sorry for those screw ups. Right. Anyways. And then it, that is exactly it. And that I, the thing about it when people are like, oh, I can't believe you could do that. Or, oh, you yeah, know, how do you strong. find the strength how do you to find do the strength? it? I think it's the other way around. You want to know what takes a lot of strength is having to maintain that anger, yep. having to sit in silence in that car, having my daughter be angry with me and trying to like pretend that I somehow have all the answers. That's painful. Yeah. But for me to look at her and say, it wasn't your responsibility to begin with, and then to kind of joke around with the girls in the back seat, mm-hmm. not only did it dissipate that moment of heavy energy, but then I felt capable of dealing with the text I got. Yes. Because if... You would be holding on to all the parenting thing. Exactly. And now you got to deal with your dad who's in the hospital. That's when pain bodies, that's when heaviness in your body, that's when dis-ease comes up. Exactly. And so it's your own gift to yourself. Exactly. Like this is, these are the things where I want to say it is a practice because you do have to practice and, you know, it's something you need to be conscious of, but it's just paying attention to what's really more painful. How's that? You know, that's a really interesting way to look at it. What's really more painful? What's going to cost more? Exactly. And that to, you know, after I said that to her, it's a small deposit what you did. I am sorry. I reacted this way because I just got a text from grandma. Right. That, that didn't take much effort. It didn't. And it was very, it was literally three blocks from where I did it. Right. And so it didn't even need to like linger in the air too long. Like I said, she didn't really say much right then. But then when we got out of the car to the next place we were going, she put her arm around me. Mm -hmm. And we walk like that a lot. Yeah. But- it's it's subtle, but I can tell that she appreciates it. Well, and and what I'm inviting our listeners to do, because we've all been in a situation like that, that yeah. you've just shared, it might take some people three days to come clean or three hours. It yeah. took you three minutes because you were in a place where you had, not that you don't have moments where it takes you longer, but... I think you're pretty refined in that you understand your emotions and what you're bringing to a situation. That's really what this podcast is about is what energy am I bringing to a certain situation? And three minutes after you said that, you realized what energy you had brought. In that moment, you didn't. In the moment, I felt justified. Yes. Because what happened was you literally are taken over by your feeling where you're, uh, I heard a great quote the other day, and it said, when your heart closes, your eyes dilate. Meaning once I got that text where I became afraid and scared and overwhelmed, my heart kind of, when I say my heart closed, it's not that I didn't have love, it's that all of a sudden I became afraid. And then my eyes changed. The way I viewed everything became different. And that's what we realized then is how do we solve that problem? You reopen your heart. How do you open your heart? You laugh, you apologize, you have a good cry, you put on a song. Your goal is to reopen. Here's where I get confused because I have, I'm not going to go through my notes because we took the podcast in a different direction. But one of the things that I learned through my coaching curriculum that I'm almost done with is one thing that Tony Robbins says that emotions are faster than thought. Yes. So in the car, yes. your emotions were, I'm sad that my dad's back in the hospital. Yes. You did not think, no. how am I going to react to my kids? Your emotions were faster. Where I get confused though, is I always talk about the relationship between the head and the heart. Yeah. And I almost feel like 
some, what I'm trying to describe the same thing, but it's the opposite is true. Whereas my brain gets in the way from my heart. Well, that's the running you know tape I mean? in your head. That's not present time. See, the running tape in your head is past and future. Yeah. The, what happened to me in that moment was present time. The emotion that came over me was very natural, organic in that moment because of something I experienced. Now, the reason that that emotion came up could have been based on old stuff, right. but it doesn't matter because right then... I was having a feeling. And what the what you're doing is when your thoughts take over, you just have a running tape. Yeah. That's it, not just you. We all yeah. do. It's a running tape. So your thoughts are overriding present moment. Yeah. Sometimes present moment is sad and painful. Do you know what I mean? I do. Like sometimes when we think, oh, be in the present because it's all, you know, it's the best place to be and it's completely nirvana. Not true. Sometimes the present moment is sad. But you've got to experience it to get to the next moment. If you just jump over it or pretend it's not happening, or then go around, go it, around or, it or have a beer or watch TV exactly. or do something to escape that present moment, right. which we so often do right. in our Western culture, take a pill, whatever it right. is, kind of like we're going to talk about the lobster today, which we're not going to talk about. Those but lobsters. When these things happen, there's a discomfort that shows up. And this dis this discomfort can propel you into healing or, you know, awareness, or we could be so uncomfortable with it that we choose not to feel it and then it gets stored somewhere. And then we rationalize our behavior. Then when we if I weren't to understand that I'm sad in the moment because I just got this information, then I would just jump to the next emotion, which would be, I'm angry at you. You did something wrong to me when really it has nothing to do with that. If you accept, if you pay attention to what's really happening to you in the moment, then you realize there's nobody to blame. And that doesn't mean that everything is your fault. It means you have control. Yeah. This is what cognitive control is. You can choose how you deal with everything in your life. And even though we have a whole month to talk about kindness, so don't worry, you guys, we're going to keep talking about what it means. Kindness is always the best choice. Well, and to kind of bring it back to what, you know, your two books are about, your three books are about self-awareness and all that. My one quick story, and then we got to kind of move on, is last night you went to bed early. Mm -hmm. Sudi's been going to bed early lately. Just last night. Yeah, just you, you take care of yourself. In a good way. Yeah, There's yes, times when it's 8.15 and you're like, I'm going to bed. And I'm like, nice just getting started. And well, I, I, this could be a whole nother podcast. So I don't want to go too far. But what I'll say is that I need to be alone. Yeah. So I'm not just like, I'm going to go to sleep. I was up until 11 last night. But I need to be away. Got it. With my Christopher Darden book. <laughs> I, fin I finished it, Let's by Let's not the way. get into the OJ thing. <laughs> so last night, I played games with the girls at like 8.30. They're on spring break, so I'm in a really good mood. I just I just enjoyed the way yesterday happened. I had Easter with the family. It was just a really good day. And then I sent the girls upstairs because I want to work a little bit. And it was like 10.30. And they were trying to play categories at 10.30. And Skylar got sad. And all of a sudden, there was a huge fight that you may or may not. Did you mm -mm. know there was a huge no. fight last night? no. And because I was in a good mood and because uh, I'm on spring break, I completely dealt with it in a very zen fashion. All I did was I came in, I scratched her back until she was done crying and I did not get mad at anybody. I was not triggered by anything. And all three had a role in this fight. Of course, yeah. And all I did was I sang her songs, scratched her back, talked to JC for a little bit. 
And then I went into Cameron's room and we just read a book. And like, I didn't even bring up the fact that they just had a freaking loud argument at 1030 at night. What you did is you re you went into each room and reconnected with everybody. Yeah. And, but if I was in a bad mood, I'd be like, guys, <laughs> it's, it's 1030. What are you thinking? And I, as the mom would say, you set them up for failure because our eight-year-old should not be going to bed at 1030. Not because we have rigid rules. But Even because, it's on spring break, sweetie. But she can't. I mean, it's one thing if we're like at a movie and then we're going to go home and go to bed. But to ask her to have cognitive control at 1030 is a lot. Right. And uh, I agree with you. But because it's on spring break, I kind of loosened the sure. The, I get it. The grip a little I get bit. It. So anyways, my... We could talk about that story for a long time, which we won't. But basically, is think how confusing that is to a child about depending on what mood mommy and daddy are in will dictate whether or not they get punished, yelled at, get their back scratched, sing songs to them, read them books. Like that's beyond their control. And we don't have a sign on our forehead saying good mood, bad mood. So think it's how confusing that is to them. Right. Well, and then there's kids who they come from, you know, kids I used to work with who came from a really authoritarian um, home and they knew exactly what they would get for what they did. And they actually felt, and this is going to sound crazy, but they preferred the punishment because they at least expected it. And then when you come from a home where sometimes you're punished, sometimes you're not, sometimes there's such uncertainty. That there's great discomfort Pretty in that. Pretty confusing, yeah. And so, and when I say about the kid who's from an authoritarian, I'm not saying it was a healthy environment. Yeah. I'm saying that at least the uncertainty was taken out. Right. And so at least they knew I'm going to get in trouble. Um, but when it's all over the board, um, that can be really unsettling for, for adults and children, for anybody. You know what's not unsettling, sweetie? What? John J. Kelly Dentistry. No, Comprehensive he's not comprehensive dentistry and his website is chicagodentistonline.com uh if you want the best dentist in the chicagoland area i said it the best dentist wow you're throwing it out there like the best cup of coffee yeah the best cup of coffee uh john j kelly is a good friend and he's very good at what he does he is on the cutting edge of all um teeth technology well and for that matter i would say that um he is really to me i don't know a ton of dentists but i think he's Got he's got the EQ yep. and he's got the IQ. Turn right. So uh, ChicagoDentistOnline.com and then our last partner is Jeremy Kraft, the bald-headed beauty uh, from Avid, who does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. And his website is AvidCo.net. We don't have time for the listeners' questions, but we do have time for an iTunes review. Okay. Uh, this is from Jules Obi. She says our, our podcast is a game changer. She's a military wife and mom to two young girls, dot, dot, dot. Um, my whole outlook on life has forever changed, sweetheart. Do you hear that? She's calling you sweetheart? No, I'm calling you sweetheart. Oh, she her says whole- her whole outlook has forever changed. I have a long way to go to self-awareness, but the changes I've already made have been monumental in my life. Wow. I wish everyone listens to, listened to you as it sheds light on where we need to head as parents, as wives, as people. I cannot thank you enough. You will never know the impact you have had on my life and in my family in even the shortest amount of time. I'm forever, forever grateful and I'm forever a fan. I'm on book two of three of yours, by the way, Kathy, and I wish there were more. You know anything about any more books? Yes, I am writing another book. She says, you both are amazing. I can't say it enough. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Well, thank you, Jules. Thank you. That's a wonderful review. Thank you. That means a lot to us. Yeah, it does. Um, Any, what else? Anything else? Um, I would just finish up by saying, um, you know, today we really focus more on, you know, cognitive control and 
and a whole bunch of different things. But we're going to continue talking about kindness as we go through the month of April. Um, please come to our class if you are local on uh, Tuesday, April 5th at um, Teaching Kids How to Be Kind. Um, go to our website, zenparentingradio.com. Click on events and you'll see it there. It's part of our Let's Get Real series. Um, and, you know, as we go through the month, we're going to have things on our Facebook page. Uh, we're going to, you know, every podcast, we're going to talk about it. And actually, Todd, we are doing Q&A for the screening of Finding Kind. April 18th. April 18th. And so our high school, York High School, is um, hosting a present or a uh, screening of Finding Kind, um, which we've seen before. It's a documentary that's been out for a few years about um the whole idea of practicing kindness and yeah. and how we get there and uh Todd and I are going to host the Q&A after the movie so that's April 18th and so maybe this month you can join us and dedicate your practice to kindness and just if anything else just pay attention even if you're like well I didn't really change much but I began to notice creating an awareness is the first step and not sometimes the hardest step exactly sometimes recognizing that we could do something differently that's the that's the beginning of something new and I'll do a shameless promotion of my life coaching practice that is picking up steam quickly I have three clients and I'm looking for maybe a few more and uh, I just love this curriculum that I'm learning and I'll be certified in probably six weeks but I am taking clients right now at a discounted rate. So if you're interested, send me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com. Yeah, jump in because once he's certified, he's going to just zoom it up That's to right. the sky. That's right. The old bait and switch. <laughs> um, so anyways, and then the, the closing song is from some listeners, Arnaldo and Diane. And they sent us this uh, video, this YouTube clip. And it's a song, it's a video called The Power in the Words by The Green. And they said, I think, if I remember from the email, that when they hear this song, they think about our show and what we talk about. So we definitely wanted to play the lyrics to this song for you. So, And we'll put it in the show notes, too. And have a great week. Comes your way if you don't think about what you say Every single time going in your mind The power in the words won't go away Positivity comes your way Thanks for listening, folks. Hope it was as good for you as it was for us. Some other ways you can support Zen Parenting is by asking Kathy or I, or maybe both of us, to speak or present to a group you're affiliated with. Or you can also tell a friend about our podcast. If you ship Amazon, go through the link on zenparentingradio.com first. It doesn't cost you anything, but Zen Parenting will get a small commission. You can also buy any of Kathy's three amazing books through Amazon or our homepage. And if you're like me and you want to teach your children personal financial management, then use FAMZU. It's an amazing resource. It's a virtual family bank that will set your children on a path towards financial freedom. Click on the link on the lower right-hand side of our homepage to learn more. And if you're a Chicago guy and want to learn more about the tribe, the men's group that I lead, go to thetribemensgroup.com. Do you want to grow your business by partnering with us? Shoot me an email. And you can also give us an iTunes review. Lastly, you can subscribe to our podcast through our homepage or iTunes directly. 
This will guarantee you're up to speed on the latest and greatest of Zen Parenting Radio. You can always send me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com and I'll be happy to get back to you as soon as I can. Finally, we're thankful for all your support and encouragement and always remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Keep trucking. Thank you.